Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Well, I want to do kind of a continuation of what I started last week about talking about Jesus calling us prophetically, speaking to his disciples, but by virtue that we're all disciples now. He spoke that into all of our lives that he said, you'll be fishers of men. It wasn't just a declaration. It wasn't just a statement. It wasn't just for his disciples. It was for all who would follow Jesus Christ in this dispensation before he comes again in his second return. Uh, my wife and I and a couple of the guys went to a, a, a pastor's conference this, this week for a few days up in the Dallas, Oregon. And, and there was a session where they talked about um, the difference between those who believe the miracle stopped back when the last apostle died and that we are of those who believe that the power of God and all that comes with it will be with us right to the end. And that all that Jesus implemented... Uh, is still working today. And part of that is you'll be made fisher, fishers of men. Um, I want to talk to you today about how, as followers of Christ and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the motivation for all that we do and indeed the very essence of our life now, it is a top-down process. What do I mean by that? When it comes to how we impact the world around us, uh, we're ambassadors of a king of a different kingdom. We're not here doing our will or bringing our ideas in. We're representing him and his kingdom. And that in order to do that, we need to receive from him first and then take it out. Uh, We may come to a point, not today, but where we talk about uh, the whole process that Jesus ministered to those 12s and and others uh, whenever he sent them out. There was a supernatural process that was involved in that sending part. Today, I want to look at Uh, that process of how it affects you and me individually. It's a very intimate process, a very practical process. But uh, we're ambassadors, not of our own, but we're ambassadors of the Father's kingdom. And that His will will be done just like it is in heaven. His will be done here. You're a part of that process. That's what Jesus meant when He told His disciples. He said, you're going to become fishers of men. Why? Because, Because God loves people. The pinnacle of His creation I was reading a book some time ago. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was basically a book on spiritual warfare. And it says one of the reasons that the enemy comes against God's people so much is because the God we serve is a lover of mankind. Satan thought he would be the chief. He would be the principal. He would be the apple of the eye. And, and, and God said, no, Lucifer, they are part of the process of his downfall. God is a lover of mankind. He's so loved that you know the verse. That what, what he gave. He didn't hold back. And so today I want to go over some of the nuts and bolts details of how this happened. So I want you to go over to Isaiah chapter 6. 
Uh, I love Isaiah, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have some fun in the book here as we go into Isaiah chapter 6, <clears throat> about where he was um, being impacted in his life because of the circumstances that were going on in the world around him and the changes and the upheavals that were happening socially, politically, so to speak, even, um, had a tremendous impact on the main prophet of, he was the main prophet of his day, had a tremendous impact upon his life. Uh, and it brought him to a point that will end up today where he made a commitment before God. Most of you will be familiar with um, where we're going to start out in Isaiah chapter 6. And let's just start reading. I'm going to read a few verses here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, you need to quote that uh, to the enemy when he starts painting you a bad picture of what the earth is like. Yeah, it's sin sick, it's sin fallen, Jesus came, did all of that. But when Isaiah was seeing what's going on in heaven, uh, he saw the whole earth is, is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away, and your sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Um, there's a number of things that took place prior to Isaiah coming to the point where he said, here I am, send me. I think that the Holy Spirit works on us continually on an ongoing process. It's just part of what he does in the inward regions of our lives and glorifying Jesus to bring us to where we come to that same position. Here I am, Lord. Do whatever you want to do in me. Send me. I'll, I'll just be an agent for you. You know that's what he wants. Some of the things that are going on, that's what he wants from you. To bring you a point to say, not my will, Lord. It's your will. Here I am, Lord. Just, just use me for your glory in some way. Um, there was a supernatural setup before there was a send-out. And so, as we were talking last week when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, we talked about the setup then, the supernatural setup. And Jesus, the, they, he said, you know, uh, cast your nets, sank both the boats. Uh, the disciple or those that would become disciples forsook their, their boats, forsook their business and said, we're going to follow you. That was a supernatural, that was a natural response to a supernatural encounter, right? And so if you uh, are looking at how I'm going to be um, an ambassador for Jesus in the world that I live in, and you look at it like, well, I just need to know the word, and I need to have a track, and I need to know how to witness to people, you've got the cart before the horse. You see, it's not um, one of the things I, I concern myself with when I start talking about this topic in particular, about us being salt and light, in, in the earth that Jesus said we would be, is that somehow we think it's a requirement, it's, it's here because we're part of a church. Where, no, no, no. It's a response to you having come into the presence of God in such a way that another prophet said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't, I can't keep it in. I know a, a number of other pastors, and, and you know everybody's unique, and everybody has their own gifting. And a couple of them in particular have always been soul winners. I mean, they just, they're very good at that. I mean, one-on-one. Uh, 
we're all soul winners, you know, in our own lives, in our own right, and, you know, preachers get up and preach and all of that kind of thing. But there's a difference between preaching and giving altar, altar calls and ministering to people in the highways and byways. And I've noticed these. And, and I've talked to several of them through the You know, what, how did you become this way? Why do you do this? And all of them have said this, because they had an encounter somewhere with God to where they either saw the ultimate end of those that don't know Christ. Some of them saw what happens to sinners. They go to hell. Some of them, when they were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, it so revolutionized their lives that they were just anointed with this gift, I guess. They just are good at telling people about Jesus and, and ministering to people out in the highways and byways. Uh, Mike's, Mike's church that he grew up in as a little boy where his dad pastored down in Garden Valley, um, Roseburg, uh, Oregon. It was a church known as a great soul-winning church. And I know many of his contemporaries, the men now, we used to call them young men, but we're not as young as we used to be, brother. We're yeah. Yeah, we're riding trikes and all that kind of stuff these days. Yeah, the, uh, but uh, there was something that took place in that church that produced something in the people where they just, not because they were taught it, not because they were like, went to a Billy Graham crusade and this is how you didn't know. There was something, they had enough encounters with God in the supernatural, say, on Sunday, that it just kind of oozed out of them on Monday. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. As a matter of fact, I think that's the way you see, the pattern you see in the Bible. And so we're going to take Isaiah here. And the first thing I want to talk about is that there's a supernatural setup before the send-out. Oh, it's easy to say, man, I want to go be a missionary. I want to be a preacher or a pastor or whatever. But listen, unless, you, unless you're having that, that place in your life where uh, it's vertical first, the, the horizontal is not going to work like it's supposed to. And so Isaiah came to this place where there was a reassignment of strength. That's the first part I want to bring out to you in verse 1. Uh, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And, and it begins to go through this whole visionary process. Uh, a little bit of background of what was happening in Isaiah's life. Isaiah was the greatest prophet of his day. He's the greatest prophet, prophetically speaking, that um, uh, was, was prophesying those, those prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus. They're found in his book. Uh, Uzziah, his name means the strength of Yah, the strength of, of God. That's what Uzziah's name meant. And... Um, Uzziah was Isaiah's cousin. They were related by birth. By birth. Uh, also, the history, the records of history, they were close friends. They were associates. And it's just conjecture on my part, but uh, I believe that this great prophet, Isaiah, had a sense of safety somehow knowing that Uzziah was king. Because Isaiah had some great prophetic things about the coming Savior, about that. But he also... Man, he, he was, as you read through it, he had some prophetic utterances concerning the nation, concerning what was going on, what was getting ready to happen, and what was going to happen. They were, they were rough, man. I mean, it wasn't the name it, claim it, man, everything's glory. I mean, it was like, uh, get ready, man. God is, uh, there's some judgment coming. There's some stuff going to happen. And uh, Isaiah, as you study his full life, you see that the part where he was, the prophet and the prophet to the nation. But then if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, 37, where it's talking about the, the heroes of faith, and in that 37th verse it says, and there were, they were sawn in two, you know, they were persecuted, they were cast out, all these kind of things happened, and then it mentions this thing. Isaiah met a martyr's death. And in the Talmud, in the Talmud, rather, and in, in um, uh, historical accounts that are, that are trustworthy enough, it, it talks about how Isaiah came to his end. After Uzziah died, Hezekiah became king, and after Hezekiah, Manasseh, Hezekiah's son became king. Um, Manasseh was an evil guy. He was a wicked king. He, he, one of his, his great sins was he killed children. God used Isaiah to say, there is judgment coming because of that. Well, Manasseh didn't take that well, of course. 
And if you want to look up and find it, it's interesting reading, or at least I think it is. You might not think it is. It's called The Ascension of Isaiah, and it gives a detailed account. There are, there are two kind of versions of how Isaiah met his end. But Manasseh, they're close enough that, that it comes to this. Manasseh was the king. And basically, he said, Isaiah, you stop prophesying judgment, or I'm going to, I'm going to imprison you. I'm going to kill you. Uh, I'm going to, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And Isaiah, the Old Testament prophets were just like the New Testament uh, apostles, uh, where Peter said, well, uh, you know, uh, it's better for us to serve God than serve man. Well, Isaiah had the same thing. And he said, no, as a matter of fact, his prophecies kept coming. They kept getting more intense. And um, finally, he was arrested and taken in. And uh, one, of the, one of the accounts, I think it's in the book of Jasper, if you want to uh, look it up and all of that, it, it gives an account uh, where he was prophesying to Manasseh. And he was prophesying about his son. And it was a good prophecy. And Manasseh was ready to just say, Isaiah, you anoint my son to be leader. And Isaiah wouldn't do it. Anyway, it's just it's a historical account. And so uh, they took him to be martyred. And Isaiah was sawn in sunder by a wooden saw, lengthwise. As a matter of fact, most of the prophets, major and minor, came up under, uh, certainly, persecution. Many of them were martyred and killed. All the disciples, all the apostles, except for John, were martyred, if you go through um, kind of somehow in America, the last hundred years or so, we've kind of sterilized what, <laughs> oh, it's just all good. It's great. Well, it's all good and great. But um, Jesus said, you're not going to be greater than the master. If they did this in the green, how much would they do more in the dry, speaking of his own? And um, uh, the, the whole point of it is, the reason I'm bringing that out is, uh, whenever you say, send me, Lord, it means you're into another kingdom that's not part of this world. And don't think it's strange if the enemy comes after you. It's just part of the package, I guess. Many years ago, I had just gotten saved a few months, and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was on a Sunday evening service. There was an evangelist in at the church, and he said, um, I want you to open your Bibles, and the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and give you a scripture that's going to be a life scripture for you. I've never heard it done by that way before. I've never done that, but on that particular night, it was. And, and I felt the touch of God. I was just a teenager then. And I opened to Romans eight eighteen, and the Holy Spirit brought witness to me. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in you. And I knew that was one of my life's verses. And so every time I've gone through suffering, I just say, suffering, you're not worthy to be compared to what Jesus is going to bring into my life, in the kingdom and even now. And so this reassignment of strength is that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. I'm just kind of reading in between the lines, and, and um, uh, you can take it as food for thought, but it, it fits in enough places throughout the rest of the Scripture where uh, I think we're in pretty safe ground. That which, Uzziah, or that which Isaiah was putting his trust in in this world had to be taken away, so his trust was only in what was in God's kingdom. That process is going to come into your life some way, somehow. Some, some version of it is going to come to where your trust is going to be taken from the things of this world. The Bible says that he who leans on the arm of flesh, the arm of flesh will always fail you. You put your trust anyplace else, it's not going to work. You, you, uh, you, your hope is in something other than what uh, the Lord is doing in your life. And you'll be disappointed, ultimately. You look to men or to people as, oh man, they're, 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 they're great people. And we need to honor and we need to bless and all of that. But listen, guys, it's, it's not people that are going to get us there. It's, it's God that's going to get us there. And so there was this reassignment of strength in Uzziah's life. And, and the way that that reassignment of strength went 
is that it took, I believe, him putting his sense, okay, I can prophesy, I can be bold and all that, because cousin Uzziah, he's my buddy, we're friends, um, we, we, we know what's going on, we're working together, he got me, but man, whenever he went, Isaiah had something took place in him that I believe solidified him for the greatest part of his ministry, but ultimately it led for his demise, just physically, he was martyred. And that is, in verses 1 through 3, uh, Isaiah had a personal encounter with glory. If there's anything that I think that can be added to the church today, that uh, regardless of what's going on in whatever church it is that you're in, people need to have personal encounters with the glory of God today as much, and I believe, if not more than ever before. What are you saying, Pastor? How's that happen? What's that look like? He said, well, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train, that is, everything that followed him, his robe, filled the temple. And then he describes these angelic beings and all of that. What was happening is that Isaiah was actually seeing that God is not only filled with glory and splendor, but God is in charge, that God is God over it all, and that all we are called to do is put our full trust in him and follow him first and foremost. And in this prophet who was getting prophecies, this was pretty much towards the beginning of his ministry and the earlier parts of his ministry, he had to come to that point where he had a personal encounter with glory. How many remember maybe back in years ago or when you were younger or whatever, somewhere, somehow, somewhat, you had some defining times in the glory or in the presence of God? Why do we push camp meetings so much around this place? So your young people can go up to a place without an iPhone, and they're going to have withdrawal, but it's okay. They'll survive it. And, uh, uh, but in those kind of settings, they come and they encounter the glory of God for themselves. Oh, I love telling the stories. You know that. I love hearing the stories. You know that. But what's better than all of that? You need to get some, get in and get some for yourself. You need to get in and begin to have the encounters for yourself. I think it's one of the things that's taken the, the punch out of the American church is because we're living on second and third and maybe fourth generation glory. No, we need to have the glory of God come back in. And it's not that it's just the glory fills the building. The reason the glory fills the building is because the glory has filled you first. And then it just kind of overflows out of you and gets on whatever's around you. I'm hungry for more of the glory of God. How about you? I'm willing to say, God, if there are things that, that I'm finding solace or strength or comfort in that are, are, are of this world rather than your world, Lord, I'm willing. You take those out of my life, no matter how painful it may be, because, God, I want to have my trust and the glory in you and be participating in the glory that comes from you. So Isaiah had that. He had that personal encounter with glory. Verses 6 and 7, as this goes on, we come to um, an incredible part within this process of, of Isaiah's transitioning. This is the Old Testament prototype, if you will, of Jesus saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men to his disciples in the New Testament. Here, Isaiah is going through this process. He's having this encounter with God. He's seeing heaven. He's seeing these seraphims. The whole place is shaken. And then he has this revelation. He was a holy man. He was a good man. He was, he was up under, Lord, I'm yours. I'm following you. But in verse 5, this is what happened when he came into the glory. He said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Oh, I like the time when the God bumps come on and, and you're having the encounters with God. But I'm going to tell you, in, in all of that, you're going to come to a point where you're like, oh God, I'm humbled to be before your presence, God. You're a great God. You're an awesome God. You're a powerful God. Lord, help me. And he said, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. As a matter of fact, uh, historians think that uh, Manasseh used that statement to be one of the um, reasons that he condoned Isaiah to martyrdom is because he was ascribing to the king unclean things, and Manasseh just wasn't going to stand for it. We limited it. The days never change. There's wickedness in high places today, and I'm, I'm going to be one that's just going to inform you. Um, there probably is going to come times when you all, including me, we're going to have to take stands that are going to be against what, what the world is saying, even in our nation. You're going to need to encounter glory to do that. You're going to need a revelation, Lord. I'm in a, we're, we're living in a rough day, God. There's a lot of things going on that are not right. God, uh, I, uh, uh, for, I, I need to have it where my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
because that's where my help always comes from. He had that personal encounter with glory. The impact of God's fire upon you, verses 6 and 7, that you know the verse, the seraphim came, took a live coal from off the altar in the tongs, placed it on his lips, and he said, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard a loud voice saying, who's going to... Who, who, who can I send? The impact of God's fire upon your life. Over in Hebrews 12, 29, it says that our God is a consuming fire. Matthew three twelve, John the Baptist said of Jesus, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 1 Kings 18, 24, most of you will know the, the, the story there of where uh, God's prophet was confronting the prophets of Baal. And in verse uh, 24 of 1 Kings 18, he said, Then you call in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he's God. Mm-hmm. What's that mean? Um, it's allegorical. That is, you, it, I, I believe our God is a consuming fire. You know, flesh can't stand in his presence and all of that. But as it comes to how that works in our life, Jesus baptizes it with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire is something that purifies. Remember, you're going to be salt and light. What salt do it purifies? It's all in that whole same thing. Um, uh, God is a consuming fire in that when you start getting closer and closer and closer to you, there becomes less of you and more of him. He is a consuming fire. And I'm going to tell you, just so uh, you'll understand, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Paul said, for me to live is Christ over in Philippians. That is, there's going to be less of me and more of him. You have to come into the, the consuming fire part. You have to come into that part of who God is. He is a blessing God. He's a loving God and all of that. But he will also take and he'll purify and he'll purge. And the heat of his presence, if you can put it in that, it just kind of evaporates the things out of your life that shouldn't be there. That whole work of sanctification. A number of years ago, in the mid uh, 2000s, there was a revival in Brownsville, Florida, Pensacola. And Steve Hill was the evangelist, and John Kilpatrick was the pastor. And uh, it was the 90s. Well, you know, what's a decade between friends, okay? Uh, uh, that's what happens when you get to the decade I am. The decades back there, they just kind of all blur together. But uh, I was at a, uh, I went there several times, and there was the, the, um, uh, one of their, their theologians, Dr. Michael Brown, was there. And, and I remember it. I've heard thousands just like you of messages through the years. But this one I'll never forget. My, Dr. Brown was preaching that night. Whatever night it was uh, in the week, they had church seven nights or six nights a week. They took Monday off. And uh, you couldn't get in the place. I mean, you would wait literally outside the building for hours in the Florida heat waiting to get in the building. Uh, the closest I ever came to getting in a fight was with an usher trying to get a chair in one of the seats. <laughs> and it wasn't the usher's fault. We had so many people packed in that they're like, hey, you guys got, I mean, it was almost like we were sitting on each other's lap. And this usher came by and was trying to get us to spread out, but nobody was wanting to spread. Nobody was wanting to give up their seat. And uh, they began to take it out on the poor usher. And uh, so <laughs> it was just funny. So we're all jammed in there. And man, Dr. Brown gets up and he starts preaching about the fire of God. And he said, the fire of God's going to come upon this group tonight. And I remember, I knew it theologically and all of that, but I'd never really experienced it in that level. And uh, I was there uh, with some missionaries. That John, their names were John and Pam Hanley. They were missionaries to Haiti. And uh, I was there with them, and, and we were about in the second row. And I saw Dr. Brown start to go down the aisles, and he began to just pray for people. And the prayer was this, the fire of God's upon you, the fire of God's upon you, the fire of God's upon you. Some of them fell forward. Some of them fell backwards. Some of them stood up. Some of them just disappeared <laughs> under the floor. And... Uh, uh, he came to my, uh, he's coming down and, and I just had my eyes shut and he came to, to me and, and I, it felt like this, but I asked later and it wasn't like this at all. I thought he punched me and he's a pretty big guy. Yeah. I thought he punched me right in the chest. I'm standing with my eyes shut, just being a good, holy pastor. And all of a sudden, man, I feel like I'm getting punched in the chest. He said, the fire of God upon you. And I thought he punched me like that because I flew over the chair and landed on the floor in the second row. 
And there were so many people, they started stepping on me. So I did the best I could to get under the chairs with the purses and the, everything else that was under there. And I kept, I kept hearing Dr. Brown go down, the fire of God's upon you, the fire of God's upon you. And, and I could tell there was just mayhem from the floor. I was looking and I just saw, well, that was just emotional. No, it wasn't just emotional, the spirit of God. Because I thought that he punched me, but about two seconds of floor and that didn't matter at all. The Holy Spirit came and just began to go deep, deep, deep inside of me to some areas that had been wounded in my life in the past and seeking deliverance and all kinds of things through the years, prayers and all that. But I can tell you of my own testimony that more happened in the in that 10 minutes or whatever on the floor up under what Dr. Brown was calling the fire of God than what happened in all types of sessions prior to that. Went down one way, got up another way. So I asked some of the people, I said, did he, did he punch me? And they said, no, he barely touched you. Well, something punched me. Oh, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, but he'll punch you from time to time. If you need it, he'll, he'll sock you. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. Don't, don't take it too the, the consuming part of God, that's the thing that we get a little nervous with. Because God wants to come in and clean out the stuff that needs to be cleaned. He's the consuming fire. And if you folks ever lived in, a, in the country, have you ever burned a brush pile in the spring? Oregon, Washington, I don't know, but man, you go to Texas and you burn a brush pile, and when you light it in about 10 minutes, you can't believe what comes running out of the brush pile. They slither out, they run out, they got four legs, they got eight legs, they got how many legs scorpions have, I don't know, but everything starts coming running out of the brush pile when the torch goes to it. I mean, it just starts fleeing. You'll be amazed what will come running out when the fire of God comes upon your life. Things that have been clinging on for decades, maybe. Things that have hearts and wounds, they'll just, they'll just, the fire of God will come and he'll consume that out of your life. That's part of the, I'm gonna, I'm going to be a fisherman of men. Well, Jesus spent his whole three and a half years ministering to them, getting them ready so that they would be ministering in the strength and might of God and not in the strength and might of themselves. And the consuming fire of God has to take place. I believe that the church in America is desperately due for a revival of fire to sweep through. And since this is your church and this is our church, we say, Lord, if you want, start here. Start here. Come, Lord. Consume it. Burn it up. You all know the analogy. I won't go into how you purify gold and silver and the dross is taken off. The fire comes. John said, and John was the greatest prophet who ever lived, Jesus said. He said, this one, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And oh yeah, they had the cloven tongues of fire in the book of Pentecost and cessationists say, yeah, that was it and it's never coming again. Oh, uh, God will light you up. <laughs> Don't be afraid of that. Don't be scared of that. The Spirit of God will come and he'll do a work on the inside. Uh, verse 8, ears tuned to hear heaven. So what took place? He began to be have some things uh, taken care of in his life, some priorities rearranged and all of that. And one of the seraphim flew, he touched him with it and he said, in uh, verse 8, he said, I also heard the voice of the Lord. You know, as you come in contact with the fire of God, it does something in your spiritual ears to make your, clear, you make your hearing more clear and you can focus. And um, uh, over in, I think it's Isaiah 61, where it says, He's come to set the captive free and to heal the brokenhearted. God's given me some type of, of ability, and it's not 100% and all of that, but I can see broken hearts. Jesus said, I, uh, the, 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 Isaiah said, he's come to set the captive free and to heal the brokenhearted. I've seen broken hearts in this church. They're here. There's some here today. Jesus comes to heal that. 
the fire of God heals that. And as that's healed, it releases you to where now you begin to hear things more. Instead of hearing it through the brokenness of your experiences of life, now all of a sudden you begin to hear through the voice of heaven. Quickly as we go. Uh, verse 8, it says, how many were ever on a team and um, when you were picked, you had to take one, or when they were choosing the team, you had to take one step forward. Sometimes, I guess, in the military, they would, they would do that. We need volunteers, and everybody take one step forward, and all the other guys step back, and there's the poor guy standing there. By, and anyway, this is that thing where you take one step forward. Verse 8, he said, uh, he said uh, uh, God was saying, who shall I send? I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who's going to go? Who's going to go for us? One of the great text verses of the, of the uh, reality of the Trinity. And uh, God's hearing, hearing this conversation, or Isaiah's hearing this conversation in heaven. God wants you to hear what heaven is saying about you and about the day we live in. And it's going to be much like it, is, it was here in Isaiah's day. Who, who are we going to send? Who's going to go for us? The world needs uh, our love. The world needs the touch of heaven. Who's going to go for us? Who are we going to send? And Isaiah, by this point, he's gone through enough. He's had enough glory. He's seen enough. His trust was taken away in the things of the world. He said, he said here I am. Send me. Well, that's because he was a prophet. That's what the Lord is longing to hear from you today. For every person in this room, Lord, here I am. I'm going to take the step forward. God, whatever job you need to be done, I'm going to step up for it, Lord. If I have the ability to do it, if you're, if you're putting um, the attention upon me, if you're calling into my life, I need someone. Here I am, Lord. Send me. That's music in the eyes, in the ears of the Lord. Because it's not that he says, okay, here's your assignment. And then he, you know, go out and do it. No, he said, here's what we're going to do. You're just going to be the tool in my hand. I'm going to do it, but now I've got a tool to work with, and you're it. Whenever you say, here I am, Lord, send me, what you're signing up for is for God to work through you, not to send you out alone. He's going to work through you. I know every one of you here today is, is longing and, and, and desiring for God to work in your life and also to work through your life. And he said, go and tell this people. And then if you want to read the rest of it, it was pretty rough what he was telling Isaiah. This is what you're, as a matter of fact, it was part of the reason he got martyred. Uh, he said, this is what you're going to need to go tell them. But over, I think in chapter six and, or chapter seven and eight, he begins to prophesy about the Messiah coming and all of that. Uh, Isaiah was hearing clearly from heaven. But until you have that encounter with God where it brings you to the point where you, where you're willing to say, here I am, send me. How many remember back whenever you had a, a call of God placed upon your life? I don't, it, there's calls put upon all of us. It doesn't mean, oh, if you're called, that means you go be a pastor or a missionary. Oh, that's, that can be there. But God calls each of us. He said, I'll make you a fisher of men, number one. And you'll do far more than that. The enemy's tactic is to keep us so focused on the temporal things of our lives. I believe something that's happening in America right now I'm not prophesying this, but I'm just giving an observation, is I believe we're seeing the process of King Uzziah's dying in America. That is, the things that we have put our trust in, the, the institutions and the very fabric morally and, and, and even spiritually, that, that those things seem to be weakening and waning. And people like us, those of faith and those of, of just loving God, I, I can feel sometimes the intensity, on, you know, almost fear, like, Lord, what's happening? It's, it's bringing us to a point to where unless God does it, we're in a heap of trouble. Unless we have revival, our nation is not going to look the same 10 years from now. And it's not incumbent upon Washington, D.C. or pulling the right lever and we'll talk about voting. Vote the Bible. That's my whole message on Paul. Just vote the Bible and you'll be all right. 
We'll be all right. But it's, it's even, it's just getting the right person in the White House isn't going to fix it. What we need is uh, the, the person of heaven in every church in America to where uh, there's so much of God that when people come in, it's not, oh Lord, how great it is, but it's Lord, woe is me. I need your touch. I need your work. I need your anointing. I need your fire upon my life. And Lord, whatever that, that means that from there, I'm, I'm up for it. I'll, I'll go. Send me. I'm going to close with this testimony. Uh, I w- was watching a, a friend of mine and uh, Mario Murillo's his name, and Mario's, uh, uh, I've known him off and on through, through the years. When I was pastoring in Portland, he held a, I think, a three-month revival at downtown Foursquare, Dr. Hamilton's church, back in the 70s. That's my first acquaintance with Mario. Mario's still going. His wife and his son, little Mario, were in our church for a while, and Anyway, got to know him a little bit. We're not personal friends, but we're, we're friendly, and so I watch him. And I was watching Mario was just at a, a huge meeting in, I think it was Pasadena or Southern California, just a few, a week or two ago. The place was packed, thousands of people, and they turned thousands of people away. And uh, somehow somebody, uh, uh, this individual, this man, and his boy got in, and they were like in the second row in this auditorium. And his boy had been born with spina bifida. And I don't know all that much about it, but it cripples you and you don't develop right. And, and this man was drunk and he began to mock Mario. Telling the boy, don't listen to him. He's a fake. He's a fraud. He's saying healing. Nobody's getting healed. If God was going to, if God was a good God, he'd heal you. And he's having this conversation in a drunken stupor with his little boy. And Mario, you can look him up on YouTube. Go watch it. It's, it's a good, it's a good thing to watch. And Mario's at first, he's like, I need to get a hold of my ushers. Why would they let somebody in the second round? You know, that's the natural mind. <laughs> and then the mind of Christ comes in. Aren't you glad for that? And then he realized that unless we have the power of heaven, us just having meetings doesn't do much. And Mario got down, and I believe he said on his hands and knees or maybe laid in the floor. I don't know what, but he was just, he got, he got low and he was just like, oh God, unless you're here, unless you do this. He just said, I just felt utterly powerless. And his mind started to sweep back over Catherine Kuhlman's meetings because he was a driver for Catherine in the early days and all that kind of thing. And, and, and he began to have these flashbacks of the power of God. It, he was having an Isaiah 6 happening. And the Spirit of the Lord began to show him not Mario's anointing or his calling, but heaven's power and heaven's authority and heaven's uh, position on this. And all of a sudden, people started to, to shout out in the building. They were being healed. They were being touched. This was like last week. And it started out with a few, and then it was dozens. And I guess by the time there were like hundreds of people standing up or running or doing as, as the Lord was just healing things. And this man in the second row who had been mocking Mario lifted his little boy up and began to cry out to God. And he said, why not my son? Why not him? And Mario's down on his hands and knees in the front saying, oh, God, unless you do something, there's nothing we can do. And all of a sudden, that little boy, in it, it said he started doing the bicycle. Dad's holding him, and he just started pumping his little legs as fast as he could go. And Dad couldn't hold on, and he put him down the floor, and the little boy shot up on stage and ran up and ran into the arms of Mario, I guess. And, and I, the place went nuts. The fire and the glory hit the place. Holy Ghost pandemonium. Ha, ha, ha. Heaven came down. I don't know about you. I'm saying, God, Vancouver needs that. People's church needs that. I need that. You need that. We all need that. God, that you come like Isaiah, and all of a sudden we see the Lord high and lifted up. The glory of his train fills the temple. It's worth whatever you want to burn up in my life, Lord. It's worth whatever you want to burn up in us. It's worth whatever you want to say, give it to me. But we say, Lord, here we are. Send, send us. We step forward. Let's stand, let's stand up.
This has just been kind of a little exhortation more than anything today. But if your heart burns on the inside, like my heart burning right now for that, what that means is, is you've come up under the fire of God right now. How many feel it? In some sense, just talking about what happened last week. Oh, God, that's the fire of God. That's the glory of God. Send it here, Lord. That's how I want to conclude the service. Just shut your eyes and lift your hands and say, send it here, Lord. Here we are. God, whatever you need to do in us, whatever you need to do in, in, in this city, whatever you need to do in this place, whatever you need to do in me, God, it's not about the preacher. It's not about the, the one beside me, right or left. It's not about, you know, who's on stage or not on stage. It's not about any of that, God. It's about, Lord, what, what are you doing, God? We want to be a part of what you're doing, not, about, not just about what we're doing, God. We want to be a part of what heaven's doing. Lord, we want to come up under truly the consuming fire component of who you are, God. Burn up everything that needs to be burned up that's not you. And, Lord, let the power of God be the residual that's left over. We need your power more than we need life itself. In our country, God, our nation is going to, uh, to, to desperately come up under a judgment or, Lord, we're desperately going to come up under a revival. We're praying, Lord, send revival upon America. Let it start in every church, large and small. Let it start in every preacher and every pastor and every leader and every intercessor. Lord, let it start on, and Lord, let it start on us. Let it start right here. Father, I pray that we give you permission right now to make contact with us and remove from us things that we've trusted in that you just want to be in that spot. Not a title, not a career, not a, anything else, not a family, not a relationship. Those things are all good, and we love them, and they're there, and they're the blessings of God. But God, I pray today that our trust and our only trust is in you, Jesus. We're not going to lean on the arm of flesh in any way. Help us, Lord, that we lean upon heaven and only what heaven is able to do in a wicked and perverse generation that we live in. Lord, we need revival. Lord, we need the fire of God upon our lives in Jesus' name. (laughs) Holy Spirit, produce a hunger in this place that we will not settle for anything less than the glory that comes from above. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to commission you that you start praying that prayer every day. Lord, we need an open heaven in such a way that, God, you can do whatever needs to be done in me first and in this place. Because I believe that you've been sent here, we've been sent here for such a time as this. We're all in this together. And that God has something that he wants to do that we have yet to see happen. That's what keeps kind of pushing us ahead. Yes, sweetheart. I just want to share this because the Lord just lifted something heavy off of me that in one area that I've been carrying. And so I feel like it's hard sometimes to say, Lord, send me when there's a heaviness or something we're concerned about. Amen. So I felt, I just felt his touch lifting that heaviness off of me. So I believe he's doing that in us today. So if there's any area that you're carrying a heavy burden, Lord, I thank you for lifting that off of us today. In Jesus name, I thank you for the new peace that's going to be upon us. And I thank you for removing the dross and any heaviness that's in us so that we can truly say, send me, Lord. Amen. Yeah, amen. Well, let's just take that. If that's you, you've been carrying something that's heavy, kind of weighing you down. I cast that care upon you, Lord. Why? Because you care for me. Lift them off today. Lift the burdens off today in Jesus' name. Lift the burdens off in Jesus' name. Come on, Holy Spirit. Lift the burdens off. Come on, folks. Just say yes to God. Lord, give, I give you this burden. Lord, lift it off of me today. I don't want to carry it anymore, Lord. I cast this care upon you because you care for me. There's important heaven business to be done. I don't need to just be dealing with the little things that hold me back, the little foxes that spoil the vines. God, come and set us free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed.
Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Isaiah's response was, here I am, Lord, send me. Some of you are coming up under where you're feeling an inspiration from heaven upon your life to engage in some way that you haven't been. And I want, to, I want to just give you permission to dream and say yes to that. If you're having that, it's not from you. It's from heaven. I know there's some people that said, we want, to, we want to take food to the parks, or we want to do this, or we want to do this. That's heaven engaging. You say, send me. That is happening right now. Some of you are getting God-ordained creative ideas that are entering into your mind right now. That's the Holy Spirit of heaven. And the response to that is, pray it through, of course, and all of that. But yes, Lord, you're, you're speaking to me. Here am, here, here am I. Send me. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody having a sense of God speaking to you? Go and pray it through this week. I'm going to dismiss you. God love you. God bless you. If you want prayer, we'll be down here. We'll be ministering, hands-on, uh, praying and believing. If there's anybody here and you don't know Jesus or you really want to make a full commitment of your life to Christ, come down right now and see me and talk to me, and I'll take you through that whole process. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week of victory in Jesus' name.